What I want to talk about today is uh, mostly worship. I mean, I'm going to touch on a couple of things, but I want to show you something, that it doesn't matter what situation you're in. You can come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need whenever you want to. And uh, I'm, I'm, I, as I was studying this, I kept hearing the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and say, the prodigals are coming home. The prodigals are coming home. And uh, I just began to thank the Lord for that. And I believe the word that the Lord is de delivering on Wednesdays, I believe the Lord is using it to prepare us to transition from here to there. That building over there, I believe the Lord wants to deal with some things and prepare us and equip us to be able to successfully fulfill the God-given purpose that we have as a community of believers in that new church. And there's going to be a bunch of people who are backsliders that are coming. I believe that with all my heart. And there's going to be a transition within them. And some of you may be going through this as well, so I, I hope this word speaks to you uh, in volumes because I know it spoke to me because how many of us have failures, Right? And that, what that man said, Matt Chandler, he said, our failures lead to worship. And that blew me away. Because we're you're so used to saying our failures lead to condemnation. Our failures lead to guilt. Our failures lead to backtracking. Our, fa our failures lead to stagnation. You know, amen, am I talking to somebody that's gone through it before? We tend to begin to think that you know, God is linear. <laughs> you know, he's point A to point B. And, and we're working our way from point A to point B. And we're halfway between point A and point B. And Jesus is over there in point B. And the moment we mess up, we got to start back in point A. Let me tell you, God is transcendent. If you would draw a line, draw a big, draw a big squiggly line like this on that line, because that's God. And when we, have an, uh, we have, when we have a circumstance or we go through a failure or we go through a struggle... Amen, which we're going to go through it. Jesus don't change toward us. <laughs> I mean, Scripture says we're sin abound what? Grace much more abounds. Right? And I, I, and I think if, I believe that our worship, so I'm going to touch on a lot of things. I believe that if we get that mentality in our mind, our worship won't do this. You know what I'm saying? Where one day we're up here, we can attack hell with a squirt gun of water, but then the moment we mess up, we're back down here, and we can hardly even lift our head when we come into the house of the Lord. And the Lord's trying to, the Spirit of God is trying to say, Jesus understands your failures, because <laughs> he was man. You know, Hebrews tells us that we don't have a high priest that cannot understand or emphasize what we went through. And I, and, I, and I think that that's where the church needs to get out of this whole, I'm good, I'm not good, I'm good, I'm not good. Mm -hmm. And in our good times and our bad times, understand that in the eyes of God, we're good all the time. You know, so we're going to get into scriptures, show something. And I saw it pretty interesting. You may have heard of this, you may have not, whatever. I'm just going to release the word. Matthew, no, sorry, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit, but I think this is powerful. It really spoke to me. And listen, guys, believe me when I say, when, before I preach on Wednesdays or teach, man, God directs me with this, me first. And that's been my prayer. Lord, deal with me. 
Let this word be for me. And that's, you know, and that's where a lot of preachers get it wrong. You come and you seek for a word for the people, but you never say, Lord, show me me. You know? And I stand up here as transparent as I can. And I pray that God will just release this word to you and just change you the way he changed me. Because every time now, every time that I come in here, I don't care whether I had a good week or a bad week. I don't care if I got friends. I'm going to still worship Jesus because he's good. I mean, the fact, don't matter what the world does or how my day is going, the moment I cross that threshold, God is good all the time. Whether I'm at home, whether I'm in church worshiping corporately with you all or worshiping by myself, I don't care if even I'd be losing my house. God is still good. God's going to be good in the cardboard box that I would live in. I'm not losing my house. Don't worry about it. But I'm just saying, he's good. He's worthy at all times. At all times, God is good. Whether we're stressful or we just got an attitude or we're just mad about something or you haven't been able, you know, to do what you wanted to in the church, regardless, God is good. So let's look real quick. Now, one of the Pharisees, as soon as you see that word, you're like, uh-oh. One of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, him being Jesus. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined. At the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner or an immoral woman. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Very familiar story. You know the story. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping with her tears and his, I'm sorry. She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this is, what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. That she is a sinner. (laughs) Religion. Religious snake spirit that came out of that man. (laughs) Let me stop there and then we'll continue. This right here, a lot of theologians and scholars say this is Mary of Bethany. There's another Mary of Magdalene. And a lot of them don't believe that it's the same Mary. I tend to believe it is because of the story that's in John chapter 11. And this story here is similar, very similar. And the synoptic gospels, which basically means they're, they're, they're alike, are Matthew, Mark, and John, I believe. But in this story, Luke is writing about this. So what I'm trying to get to here is I believe that Mary of Bethany and Mary of Magdalene were the same person. In John chapter 11, you have the anointing of Jesus in the same manner. Mary pours out a vial of perfume. But I tend to believe, and this is where I'm going to drive the point, and I'm going to be quick today. Mary had an experience in her worship. I'm going to show you why. Here, see, what, what the scripture tells us in, in chapter 8, just a couple of verses after, he be, in verse, Luke 7, 47, Luke states that this Mary had been forgiven much. A lot. Then Luke goes on to say in chapter 8 that this Mary had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. 
So what we see here, we see Mary broken (laughs) in need of redemption, in need of grace, in need of love, in need of a savior. And scripture tells us here that she heard that Jesus was in this house. So she was searching for him. And she brought, if you look at John 11, she brought her most prized possession, which was a vial of perfume. I believe when what I read, Mary did this twice. I believe she anointed Jesus twice. She worshiped Jesus in her failures because she understood that the grace of God was necessary in her life. She understood, yes, I'm a sinner. I know I'm an immoral woman. I've had seven demons cast out of me. But instead of staying stuck in her circumstances and dying in her sin, she realized she needed a savior and she needed forgiveness. And nothing or no one, even a religious attitude, was going to get in her way. And see, and this is where the church is at right now. That's why I said the prodigals are coming. As I was studying this, the Holy Spirit began to speak that to me. Woe unto us. Listen up. We better be careful when these people come in seeking God and seeking grace and seeking Jesus and a Pharisee spirit just comes up out of us. Religious. Jesus, in a chapter after this and before this in Matthew, Jesus begins to talk about stumbling blocks and he begins to say, don't be a stumbling block to one of these little ones. Instantly, she comes in and that Pharisee, that religious spirit comes out and says, if you would only know, if you were a prophet and you would only know who this woman was touching you, you wouldn't let her. But he was Jesus. He was the savior of the world. And then Jesus goes on to say right here, he says, and he thought to himself, I love how Jesus, and this is just me. I love how Jesus punks people in the Bible. Like, shut up. You don't even know what you're talking about. He does that a lot. And I'm like, man, he begins to talk trash about this woman saying, ooh, I can't believe. See, the Pharisees at that time were so religious, they thought people like that were unclean. They thought people who did not read the law and did not know the law were not chosen. They were so self-righteous, so self-pious. I mean, you read the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Where the Pharisee comes into the temple, both of them, the Pharisee is like, God, I thank you that I'm not like this man right here. I give my tithes. I pray this many times a day. I thank you, God, that I'm righteous. Then you have the publican that comes beating his chest. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, who do you think is more righteous in the eyes of God? And, 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 and that's where the church is at. Prodigals come in. Homeless people come in. People come in and we're like, they smell. They're not right. I know who that person is in Pineville. I know what they've been through. I know what they've done. I know that they sold drugs. I know that they do meth. I know that they're prostitutes. I know this. I know that. I know this. And we instantly judge them. And we instantly condemn them. Since when did God call you to be a judge? Scripture don't say in Acts 1.8, and you shall be my judges when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. No, he said, you shall be my witnesses. 
Time after time after time, Jesus rebuked his disciples for seeing the signs and not believing in him. Even his own brother, scripture tells us, doubted who he was. And this is what happens. And, and, and it tends to be, if we're not careful, the, the more we walk with Jesus, if, if we're not careful and we, and, we, and we decide to live in a lifestyle that, listen, I remember where I was. And that's what I try to do. Lord, give me a rearview mirror. It was 10 years ago, wasn't that long ago when I was doing stupid stuff. And then I tell the Lord, I want you to show me on a daily basis where I have come from, where you brought me from. Because the same grace that I needed on that day is the same grace that people out there need when they know what they want Jesus. So this Pharisee begins to be all pot, you know, all self-righteous. And he's like, man, if he knew who this woman was, he would, you know, he wouldn't be, she, he wouldn't let her touch her, touch him. Look what Jesus answered. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them before will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I love this right here. He, he knocked down his religious attitude real quick, real quick. He said, I entered your house, Simon. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has whipped my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But since she, the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many. Pay attention there. Which are many. That's the discernment that Jesus had as God. I know this woman is full of sin. You don't have to say that in your mind to say, if I'm truly a prophet, I'm the son of God. I'm about to die on the cross for the sins of humanity. All that mess that she has in her, all those sins, I know she has. I know it's there. You don't have to tell somebody who's struggling with sin, the sin they're struggling with. Guess what? They know. They know the sin that they're struggling with. And Jesus says, which are many have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Listen, this is where, I, this is where Martha was at in the very beginning. Full of sin, full of depression probably, lived a sinful lifestyle, had seven demons that Jesus had to cast out of her. And she came in her failures to worship Jesus. Regardless of what the opinion was in the consensus in that room, she pursued the Lord. And probably said, hey, I don't care if I'm embarrassed. I don't care if I get embarrassed in front of people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to worship Jesus. And she poured out her all. 
She poured out her all unto the Lord. Everything she had, all her problems, all her needs, all her sins. She said, God, I re Jesus, I realize that without you I am nothing and I need forgiveness. And she poured it all upon him regardless of what people thought, regardless of what people said. And that's where we need to be as a church when we mess up. Can I talk about reality and struggles right now? We're human. We're flesh. We're men. We're women. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have failures. We're going to have situations where we don't feel too good about ourselves, where we don't feel we're worth dirt. And we come into this place and we encounter the tangible presence of God, but yet we don't have enough confidence to raise our hand in worship and say, God, you're worthy. God, you're good. God, you're merciful. The weight of your sin is so great that you come in here and you, don't even, you can't even lift your head. You come here as a routine because it's the right thing to do on Sunday because you know that if you would stay home, you would more than likely backslide. But can I tell you something, church? He's forgiven you. Jesus knew this woman's sins. He said, this woman's sins are many, many. I know what kind of woman she is. Jesus knows what type of people we are. Let me tell you something. Jesus died for the entire world. His objective coming to earth was to die for all of sin. Paul said, you cannot crucify Jesus no more. He paid the price for all of the sin, everything. Even the ones you're going to commit in the future. The Father knows them. He knows them. He knows what I'm going to do two weeks down the road. He knows what we're going to do a year down the road. What's going to happen. He knows the temptations that are coming our way. He knows that we're going to fail and where we're not going to fail. And he always gives us a way out. But in our failures that we're going to encounter, the Lord still said, they're forgiven. They're forgiven. So we come into this place not acting like we owe, that Jesus owes us something, but we come in this place with humility, saying, God, I know what type of person I am. And listen, I'm the, one of the most transparent people to myself, and I've shared it with you before. I've stood up here and been as transparent as I possibly can. I know my limitation. I know my weaknesses. But in all of all of that, I know that Jesus still forgives me. Because he died for sin once and once only. So look what happens. She, Mary, in chapter 8, a shift happens in her life. And it says, And it came about soon afterwards that he began going at, about from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So Mary becomes the disciple of Jesus. Because if you read in John chapter 11, you find Mary in that second time worshiping the Lord by anointing him once again. You find her at his feet. Anywhere in scripture that you see Mary, where was she at? At the feet of Jesus. That was in that time was the position that, I, that a disciple took. Ooh, you, you thought there was only 12. 
Remember, at that time, they didn't count women. She was found at the feet of Jesus. Always in scripture, even after Lazarus was resurrected, she was at the feet of Jesus. She had an encounter with the forgiving grace of the Father in Jesus Christ, and that changed the way she worshiped. She didn't stay in, I come in and I worship out of my failures. That's where she started the first time that she anointed Jesus. She was worshiping the Lord at her failures. But the second time that she anointed Jesus, she had a costly perfume, and she worshiped Jesus in that time out of gratitude for the grace that she encountered in Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Worship out of failures. Worship out of gratitude. Those are, in my eyes, those are the two forms of worship that you can encounter. We worship when we fail. But then we should go from that, that, that position to worshiping where we have gratitude because we experience grace and forgiveness. And, and we can all say, hey, we need grace and we need forgiveness in our lives. She poured out her all on Jesus a second time. And this time she anointed Jesus right before his death. And once again, through Judas this time, a religious spirit tried to come up and try to say, man, we could have sold that perfume for 300 days wages. But she took the most valuable thing and said, Lord, you are worthy of me surrendering everything and withholding nothing back. And that's the point to where we should get in our worship to Jesus. And I know, and I know that we're human and we're flesh, but I believe there should be a consistency in the church when it comes to worship. Because you know what? People are looking. People who don't know Jesus are looking at us. They're looking at us. They come in here and they see us, sometimes they see us lift our hands, sometimes they don't. And then they're out there and we go to the real world Monday through Friday and they're looking at us. Well, I thought you were worshiping with your hands lifted on Sunday. And now it's Monday and you're not doing it. And then you come Wednesday and you're like, all right, Lord, I got to get back to it. Forgive me. And then between Wednesday and Sunday, we might be back at it. Listen, I'm not trying to judge nobody. Don't, I'm not trying to judge nobody. I'm being real. I'm hitting the situations that we go through. This, you know, this might not be a jump up and down amen, amen message, but the Lord Spirit of God is saying he wants consistency. He's willing to grace you in your weaknesses, and he's willing to even give you even more grace in your devotion and your worship to him because of his goodness. But her worship changed. Because she encountered the forgiving grace of God. And that's what we need to be, church. We need to be merciful and graceful to those who are struggling the way that Mary did. Regardless of the situation they go through. Listen, backsliders know they're not right with God. They know that. They know that. And, and, and beating them up by saying, you know, you're going to go to hell or this is going to happen. Or that. You know what? They know that. They know that. They're not, they're, not, they're not ignorant of the fact. They know when they mess up. They know whenever they're struggling. You've been, we've been there before. We know the feeling that we get in our heart when we're not right with God and the conviction that comes in our heart by the Holy Spirit. We feel it. We feel it in our heart. But instead of, of, of pushing them toward judgment, 
How about we, we, we pull them toward grace? We pull them toward grace and we remind them, hey man, I was there. I was there. I was there after I got saved and I just couldn't release the addiction to pornography. I was there. I was there going to church and going to serve and then when I would leave, the same day I would get tempted and fall into the temptation again. I was there. The ugly feeling of that. And you know what I didn't have? I didn't have somebody say, man, you know what? God gives you grace and God loves you because we always try to focus on God's holiness and I believe that God is holy, but Jesus was graceful. We can't get too much on grace where it gets wishy-washy and we say love, 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 grace, grace, grace. But the grace of God is there for a reason. When you fall, you have an advocate that's willing to forgive you. And we got to be willing to pull people toward grace. It's like Justin said up here. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, not the judgment of God. It's not the judgment of God that leads men to repentance. I was there. My mom would always tell me, you're going to hell. Mom, when I die, I want you to give me this kind of cat. No, I'm going to cremate you because I know you're in hell anyways. That's what my mom would tell me. That's what my mom, I'm not spending all that money on you knowing that your soul is in hell. I'm going to burn you and I'm going to dump your ashes somewhere. And you, you know, that's what my mom would say. But you got to get to, you got to understand the point where my mom was at. She was struggling so much because of my sin and she was so broken that I was her son. She had given up on me. And she was trying to judge me by God's judgment. And, and, and I, don't, I don't get mad at her for that. I look back and I laugh. Because mom, remember when you told me you were going to burn me because I'm in hell anyways? And she's like, shut up. You know, <laughs> don't say that. Let's just focus on where you are now. But it was the grace of God that got me to where I'm at. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. One little, Emily Napier was in first priority today and she was saying it's the kindness that we have toward one another that will change people's look toward Christianity. The kindness. It's the goodness of God. We need to tell people how God good is even in their sin. Man, I'm struggling. You know what? God is good, brother, because he woke you up and he gave you one more day to, to repent and to turn to him. God is good. You know, my brother, you, you prayed and you labored in prayer with me. I told you my brother was struggling with homosexuality. And I could have been judgmental. I could have been like, bro, you're going to hell and it's ungodly. But you know what? I loved him. And I showed him and I prayed for God to open doors in his life that no man could shut. And you know what God began to do? God began to bless him with jobs and with money coming in the mail. And God just started pouring out his blessings. And you know what the position he got to? He said, man, I'm living my lifestyle of sin and God is still blessing me. That's not right. So you know what he did? He ran to Jesus. Because he said, I can't just receive the blessings and ignore the blesser. If God is gracing me like this, I can only imagine how I would be treated if I was righteously pursuing him every day of my life. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. It's the goodness and the grace of God who changes us on a daily basis. On a daily basis. Now, Paul goes to say in Romans, should we continue in sin because God is graceful? No, that's where the Holy Spirit and maturity comes in. You seek the grace of God, of Jesus Christ. You're forgiven of your sin. And then you ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in life and to say, Holy Spirit, this is the problem area in my heart. 
This is the issue right here that I have. This is where my situation is. Now I need you to purge everything in there and begin to do the work and lead me by the grace of Jesus to where you want me to be as a Christian. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life in that way. And that's what happened to Mary. Mary worshiped out of her failures, but by the time that she worshiped the feet of Jesus, she was victorious and she was pouring out her love on him because she was grateful for what he did. But let me show you what happened with Mary. A lot of people don't look at it. I have it on my phone because I wrote it as I was studying. Mary Magdalene, the sinner, the immoral woman. Did you know how much of a, a significant role Mary played in the Gospels? Let me show you here. She almost became the disciple par excellence, basically meaning the example of excellence. It says she witnessed the death of Jesus on the cross. When everybody else ran, <laughs> when everybody else freaked out and ran, when Jesus got arrested, the woman who had been forgiven much was looking at Jesus die on the cross, was experiencing, along with John, the greatest example of God that humanity will ever know. I mean, the greatest example of love that humanity will ever encounter. That's where her devotion to Jesus was at. I don't care if everybody else is running. I don't care if everybody else is freaked out. I don't care if everybody else is afraid of losing their life. I know what he did for me. I know what he did for me. And he went, she went to the cross and she witnessed his death on the cross. Listen, this right here, what I'm about to share, destroys the whole church mentality that women aren't worth doing ministry. Honestly. You know, there's a lot of churches out there that don't like women to have any kind of church position or any, you know, they don't like women to preach. They don't like women to do all this stuff, prophesy or anything like that. This scripture, these scriptures that we have for what Mary did destroys all of that. Because a woman was the one who stood by Jesus in his darkest hour. In his darkest hour. She witnessed Jesus die on the cross. She accompanied his body to the tomb. Scripture says that when Joseph of Arimathea came to get Jesus, who was with her? Who was with him? Mary Magdalene. The woman, the immoral woman, the sinner. One moment that she had with Jesus changed her life forever. The goodness that he had for her led her to repentance and kept her. Kept her in her walk with the Lord. She was, she, was, she was so in love with Jesus, she wanted to pursue him even in death. She would not let go of him until his body was placed in the tomb. She was the first one to get to the tomb of Jesus on Sunday morning and saw that it was empty. The one that my soul longs for is alive. And she ran to the tomb. And saw that it was empty. Get this right here. She was informed that she informed the disciples that someone had taken away the body of Jesus. What were they at? They were still in hiding. And this fearless, forgiven woman was walking around looking for him because she heard he had risen. The other disciples came and found it to be true and they went away. But Mary stayed behind and guess what? Mary was the first person to see the risen Lord. <laughs> That's awesome. 
She was a fir- that was her reward. <laughs> she was the last person to see him die. She was the last person to see him in the tomb, and that made her worthy enough in the eyes of God to see be the first person to see the risen Savior. That blows me away. <laughs> that person that is forgiven much loves much. Let that sink into your mind and into your heart. Those of us who have been forgiven so much. Listen, every, each one of us probably thinks that we're the worst sinner ever. I thought I was the worst sinner ever. I was partially atheist. I cursed God to my mother's face multiple times. I thought there was no grace and no redemption for me. But look at me now. God is with me. And God graced me. She was the first one to see the risen Lord. Watch this. He commissioned her to tell the disciples he had been resurrected. Go and tell them that I live, Jesus said. In obedience, she and the other women went to the disciples and announced that the Lord had risen. (laughs) That blows me away. The first person to see the risen Lord. Not only that, but the one who anointed him for his death. You see what, you see what, I hope you just get this, and I may have hit everything and you may have been lost, but I pray the Holy Spirit just puts everything together. You see what grace and worship does for you? When you come to the conclusion, you say, you know what, I know I messed up, and I know I have failures, but God is still good. And God still forgives me. And because of that goodness and that forgiveness, you fall more in love for him and you'd make a decision. You know what? I'm no longer going to struggle with that. Even though temptation comes from way, scripture tells me that he gives me a way out. And I'm going to pursue Jesus. And then your worship changes from your failures to just worshiping the Lord because you love him so much. That you'd blow up if you don't raise your hands in worship. Like Odie, I believe, that's what, I believe Odie loves Jesus so much that he just, that's why he feels like he's going to blow up. Because it's just love overflowing in him for the Lord. You get to a point where you're like, I'm worshiping you, Lord, even in my good times and my bad times. It doesn't matter if I'm sick, I'm still going to raise my hand. And you begin to believe that scripture, enter his courts with what? Thanksgiving and with praise. Sometimes we start church like it's a funeral. I'm just saying. And I'm leadership, so I'm going to call it out. Remember, in your times when you struggle, when you go through things, remember God's grace and God's forgiveness and the love that he has for you. You can be so in love with Jesus that he can take you just like Mary and just wreck your life because you made one decision to no longer pursue failures but pursue the Father because he loved you. Look, think about you that are married, us that are married. You ended up loving a girl one day. And you're like, man, I really love her. I really like her. And then you asked her to, to court her. And what did she say? She said, yes. And what about the time you asked her to marry her? She said, yes. How did you feel? You felt great. I felt great when I asked Katie to marry me. And she said, yes. I said, yes. She said, yes. I was cold and, it was, and, and I was hungry, but I asked her to marry me where we did. And she said, yes. I felt, I felt great because of the love that I had for her. Imagine that with Jesus pursuing you. Knocking at the heart of your door. It's all right that you failed. But I forgive you. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And finally you say, you know what? Yes, Lord, I'm going to not withhold anything from you. I'm going to surrender everything that is in my life to you. And the Lord's like, yes. Now let me show you what love really is. You thought you know love. Let me show you what love really is. Love that comes from the Father. 
For more information about Our Father's House or upcoming events, please log on to www.offathershouseky.org.